Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week on the Chicago Bears Review, we finally close the book on the offseason as Larry D presents the 14th and final preview show by tackling the recent past, present, and future of our beloved Chicago Bears. Have Fox and Pace gotten us on the right track? And what does the future hold? All of this and so much more as we preview the 2016 Bears on this episode of the Chicago Bears Review. Yes, lighters in the air, everybody, or cell phones, because no one uses lighters at concerts anymore. It's all about the cell phones. But whatever you got, toss it up in the air, because we have reached the end of the road. Episode 14 of 14. We have reached the end of our journey, and we finish it off with our beloved Chicago Bears. What's going on, everybody? Larry D. back for the 2016 Bears preview episode of the Chicago Bears review. And after this, we officially close the books on the offseason. It ends today. It ends right here, right now. And it's been a three-day journey getting this show done. I talked to Jeff Dickerson on Thursday. I had Lauren Cox and Ron Rugg on Friday night. And here I am editing this bitch together on Saturday, trying to get it out for you guys once and for all. So uh, put a lot of work into this show. I hope you guys appreciate it. And it was long enough that just to kind of give you guys a little bit of a break, I'm breaking it up into two parts. So part one, this one right here, we're going to have Jeff Dickerson and the first half of my talk with Lauren Cox, and then part number two will be the second half with Lauren Cox and Ron Rugg uh, to finish out the show. So we're doing it big with the Bears to finish off this uh, this journey that we've been on since the end of May, and here we are creeping up to the end of July. Training camp is only four days away. The Bears report on the 27th. Today is Saturday, the 23rd, and I'm jacked. You know, a few weeks from now, we'll be watching the Bears and Broncos on Thursday night with, uh, you know, the first preseason game. And then before you know it, before you know it, September 11th with the Bears at Texans to kick this thing off will finally be at our, you know, in our grasp and we'll finally be able to get this thing uh, off and running. So just real quick before we have to dive into all of this show that I have for you. Uh, the big news uh, in Bears land uh, was yesterday, um, earlier in the week, actually, Peanut Tillman, Charles Tillman, uh, announced his retirement. He would not be returning to the Carolina Panthers or anyone for that matter. And then it was announced a couple of days later that um, 
He was going to end it the right way. He was going to sign his one-day contract and officially retire as a Bear, which he did yesterday. I even, you know, posted it on Facebook, the you know, or the the share, the revine, whatever the hell you want to call it, uh, of Peanut signing his one-day deal uh, with the Bears. He had a press conference talking about his future. Uh, he's been hired on uh, as a uh, on-air talent for Fox. So uh, now we got a reason to watch the Sunday morning uh, opening uh, show on Fox because I've I've grown so weary of those shows over the years. I can't hardly do it. I I usually don't tune in till about eleven fifty-five when it's about time to kick off, and they they toss it over to the broadcast teams and they do their little introduction before kickoff at noon. But uh, you know, Peanut's going to be on the on the uh, the pregame show, so you might want to check it out to see uh, what Peanut is uh, up to and um, talk a little bit about that with with Ron Rugg and how we feel about his future and the way that you know the Bears did right by him by bringing him home for that one-day contract so he could retire in a Bear uniform, so to speak, and, um, you know, who they had, who they didn't do that for, who they should, and how they should do it. We talk about that with Ron in part number two, uh, so keep your ears open for that, uh, you know, a little bit uh, later on. So, But, uh, you know, like I said, we got lots to show to get to. Uh, we got the Jeff Dickerson talk and the first half of the Lauren Cox conversation because it ended up being like 52 minutes I talked to I talked to Lauren about the Bears so had to break that one up a little bit so we got about 27 minutes of that talk on the first half of the show and then the second half is me and Lauren for the last uh, 25 minutes or so and my conversation with Ron Rook so uh, plenty of stuff for you guys to listen to and uh, very excited to uh, to get that show out to you guys so here we go with part one kicking things off with our good friend from ESPN back on the show again Jeff Dickerson All right, and to help us along here with a couple of quick little uh, segments, we have Jeff Dickerson from ESPN uh, in ESPN Chicago back home. And, Jeff, welcome back to the Chicago Bears Review. Oh, it is uh, my pleasure to be here with camp right around the corner. Yeah, can't wait, can't wait, because I am, I am ready for this offseason to be over with. All the transactions and the moves the guys the Bears are bringing in, especially on defense, I can't wait to see them get, get to it. Well, it'll be nice to see how much better they are than 6-10. and 10. I mean, that's been a big thing. For John Fox, you know, this offseason at all the events we covered, he's like, you know, we're a 6-10 and football team until we prove otherwise. And I think that with some of the acquisitions they made and some of the improvements, I do think eight wins, I don't know, maybe if the ball bounces the right way, maybe nine wins. I think it's certainly possible that they are going to be a lot better and a lot more fun to watch this year than they were last year. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed on that. So uh, before we get into it, we're going to do over-under, and we're going to do position battles here. Let's start with the position battles. On the offensive line, is it going to be youth and talent over experience in Whitehair versus Larson at left guard? I would think that between those two guys, I think Whitehair is going to start somewhere. Either either it's guard or center. He's going to be in the starting lineup. I mean, he's a second-round pick, so they drafted him to play right away. And he got a lot of good reps in mandatory minicamp with the first team. So between Larson, who they do like, and missed the minicamp with a leg injury, nothing serious. Uh, they told us that back then. It was nothing to worry about. They were about getting him to training camp healthy. If it was between those two guys straight up, I, I would go with Whitehair. But I do think that Larson, if he looks really good in camp, they could have Whitehair push Hironis Grasso 
for the center spot. So I, I really do think that center and left guard is going to be a great spot to watch this, this training camp because that's a very fluid position, let me tell you. They're not exactly sure what that combination is going to be, and they might not know that combination until around the third preseason game when the Bears go to New England. Well, you know, I was going to ask you about Jaronis Grasso because with Manny Ramirez retiring, that kind of left him with nobody to compete against. But you think Whitehair might challenge for the spot? Yeah, I think Grasso, I think they want him to compete. I don't think he did anything last year that showed them that he should be the unquestioned starter going into the season. I mean, he probably opens up camp with the first team. I'm not saying that he's not going to get the first crack to win the job. But, you know, they, they thought he played okay when he first took over for Montgomery last year and Montgomery got hurt and went on injured reserve. But then Grasso got hurt. When he came back, they were not happy with what they saw from him. So a big emphasis this offseason was bringing in guys like Ramirez to create competition. And just because Ramirez is gone, they still want Grasso to earn it. Now, I mean, they told us that Whitehair is guard. Uh, Dave Magazoo, the offensive line coach, we spoke with him one day at uh, during the OTAs, and he was pretty like, you know, Whitehair is a guard, but – we do think he can play a little center for us, and we got to have guys that give us that guard-center combination potential because they're so they're so critical. So yeah, I think that there's just a lot of guys that are going to be in the mix there on the left side of that line and at center. And um, if anybody's guess, I think that you're going to really have to perform and play well to earn your position this year. Nothing's going to be given to these guys. Well, you know, the left tackle spot is basically, you know, it was the only untouched position on the offensive line throughout the, the offseason. Are the Bears that confident in Lino or, or the, the guy that we brought in from Carolina? Is he going to is he going to push him or what's the story at left tackle? Yeah, they really do like uh, Charles Leno. I mean, that's a, been something that Ryan Pace has said to us a lot this offseason. And I realize that much of what is said by NFL executives or coaches is just false. But, I mean, look, they started him last year. They feel like he's a much better left tackle than he was a right tackle. And I don't think that Leno played poorly. And, you know, if you're trying to do what the Bears are doing, and that is starting from, from scratch in some spots, getting younger. Now, here's a former seventh-round pick who you've started now for, you know, a season. He played a little bit his rookie year. I think this is a guy you stick with. I really do. I think that's the whole art of player development. They need to make Charles Leno even better than he is. But he's not a bad left tackle. So I think they do like him. But, I mean, if he goes out there and stinks, you know, they'll get rid of him, obviously, or they'll they'll find someone else to play the spot. But I I don't think they expect that. I think they feel like that their tackles are going to be all right this year. I mean, Bobby Massey, had a decent run in Arizona. He's a very athletic guy, very big guy. He does know Kyle Long. So hopefully there's going to be some chemistry there. Uh, but they think that they're better at tackle, but I really think that Leno is someone they view as uh, kind of a building block for the future. And Up until last year, we never really put him in that category because he struggled, if you remember, in training camp with Jordan Mills. I mean, someone had to win that right tackle job. Neither did, and it ended up being Kyle Long. Uh, right. But I think they do like Leno after seeing his technique and seeing how he did a year at left tackle. They're a fan of his. All right. So on the in the wide receiver position, the two outside spots, those are taken, Jeffrey and, and Kevin White. It's the the slot receivers that are really interesting. The seventh-round pick, Braverman. We re-signed Mark Mariani. I'm hoping to just be a wide receiver because he was awful as a kick returner last year. And then we still have Eddie Royal, who was in and out of the lineup last year. 
is is it a who stays, this guy stays, and this guy goes, or is there room on the roster for everybody? Well, I think someone's going to get cut. I think there's there's just too many wide receivers and too many um, – Just you know, there's there's some good players there. Like, I think Mariani did a nice job as a receiver last year. At the end of the year, he made some tough catches. Absolutely, But his yeah. position is certainly far from secure. I think with Braverman being drafted, even though Mariani is bigger than Braverman, certainly as far as his physical stature – that's, that's, you know, that's a warning for him. I mean, he, he's on the bubble. Uh, you know, Marquise Wilson's uh, injury is going to open the door for someone else to make the team. But there are a lot of guys that are very similar. You know, Josh Bellamy is a great special teamer, hasn't really done a whole lot at receiver over the years. It seems like when he gets big opportunities more times than not, he doesn't come through with the big play. He, he had a couple of big plays last year, but they do like him on special teams. You know, you got Deontay Thompson who is a really good kickoff return man, who is also lining up there at wide receiver, Braverman, Mariani. Uh, so, you know, someone's going to have to go. You can't you can't keep everybody. It's not possible. So it's going to be a good battle. I mean, I think wh- where Mariani might have a little trouble is it just gets harder when you're a veteran minimum guy later in your career because there's always someone cheaper waiting to replace you. Now, maybe he just balls out and is, is, has a great camp and they have to keep him, and that would be great. And I, I think that certainly can happen. But they do like Braverman. He, he is small. When you see him at camp, he's not that big of a guy. Has a good work ethic, apparently. Big chip on his shoulder. Had big numbers in college against the, the, you know, the big programs that he played against, Michigan State, Ohio State. So I think receiver will be a fun one to watch. Uh, and any Royal, you know, look, his salary is guaranteed this year. They need him to step up. I mean, Eddie Royal needs to play like he played in San Diego two years ago. That wasn't that long ago, but he's got to stay healthy. That kind of was forgotten. You know, everyone focused so much on the injuries to Kevin White and Alshon Jeffrey, but Eddie Royal just was never right last year. They can't afford for him to have another 20 season in 2016. So does, does his contract, does that make him more or less on the hot seat as far as that goes? Well, I think since the money's guaranteed, I, I think they want him to make the team. I, I think right. that's the plan. Uh, but if he doesn't go out there and stay healthy, they might not have a choice. But I, I think that he is right now penciled in to have a big role. Because remember, he does know Cutler well. He just couldn't catch a break last year. And they didn't, I, I didn't like how they used him either. I thought he was really – everything was underneath, and he never had a chance to, to get work downfield much and – I don't know. We'll see what, what Dal Loggins has in store for Eddie Royal. But, I mean, they, they signed him to be a player, and, and they need him to, to step up and contribute and have a, have a really big season. And I think if he's healthy, I think Royal is capable of doing that. I think he's a pretty talented guy. Uh, no, I definitely agree. I was very excited when the Bears uh, got their hands on him last year. Now, on the defensive side, is there an odd man out at outside linebacker? We drafted Floyd, so obviously he's going to make the team. We got Lamar Houston, Willie Young, Sam Acho over there. Uh, do we have room for everyone, or is Acho going to be out because he's more of a special teams player? Or Yeah, I, I mean, Acho w- would seem to be vulnerable, but he is very good on teams. So, I mean, that, that could definitely sway him to make the 53. I think the way that Lamar Houston and Willie Young both played last year, if both are still with the team, you know, I mean, unless they want to trade one of those two guys, it seems like they do have a little extra there. But, you know, with Floyd, he's going to be a situational guy. I don't, I don't see him starting right away. And there's always the concern about Pernell McPhee's knees. He missed the entire offseason program. We expect him to be ready for Bourbon A, but you got to watch that very closely. You know, maybe they feel like just because of the attrition and the questions at the position that they have to carry, um, you know, maybe a little heavy on the outside linebackers. I think all those guys can play. I don't know if Floyd can play. 
But, I mean, we know Young and Houston and Acho uh, and McPhee can all play. But, yeah, I mean, there, there probably will be a couple of, of hard cuts. It happens that way every camp. And certainly at linebacker, they did a lot to, to beef up, not only outside, but, but inside. I mean, does Christian Jones make the team? I don't know. You know, now it's a little different now with Trevathan and Jarrell Freeman and Kwiatkowski, uh, uh, who they drafted from West Virginia. So I think, I think there, there could be a, a couple of a names you recognize, you know, really on the bubble here as camp goes, both outside and inside linebacker. Yeah, because, you know, guys like uh, Timu and, and Jonathan Anderson, sure. uh, you know, at the inside position, it, it'd be a shame to see one of those guys go, but there are only so many spots on the roster. I mean, I thought Timu did a great job last year. I, I mean, yeah. that was the guy that stood out to me. That game at Minnesota, he was all over the field. I don't think they want to give up on him. You know, Jonathan Anderson made a couple of nice plays uh, when he had his opportunity. So, yeah, there, there's, like I said, there's going to be a name that probably doesn't make the team, but I would go, I mean, I think, I would probably side with the guys that really gave me some serious production last year when they had their opportunities. And Timo, to me, is on that list. I liked him. I thought he was very active. He was always around the football. Uh, you know, and Anderson, you know, had a couple of interceptions. He was there too. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, Christian Jones kind of went from being a guy they were talking about as a, as a cornerstone of the future to on the bench last year so it wasn't trending in the right direction for him obviously at the end of last year and then the moves they made this offseason further signified that they were not happy with inside linebacker so he might be in some trouble all right and then finally in the position battles who are we going to get to pair up with Amos at safety because we only drafted about six of them yeah I, I would say probably Deion Bush would be my guess right now just okay. just because he's more of a strong and Amos obviously is a little more of a free I think Bush has a chance. I mean, you know, look, they're going to certainly give, like, Harold Jones, Corte. I thought that was someone who showed a little something last year, too, before he got hurt. Uh, he was a, he was lively. He's, he's a hitter. He's a big guy. He got a little dinged up, I know, at minicamp, so we'll see kind of where he's at in Bourbon A. But I, I, if I had to say right now, and we did a starting lineup projection, you know, we had to for ESPN.com, I just put Bush there. Because of the fourth-round pick and the complimentary style I think he might bring for Amos, it, it might seem like he's a smart fit. And we all know, being Bears fans, uh, you can start a rookie safety in the NFL. It might not be good, but the Bears have had so many rookies play that position right away because they have not really found a lot of stability at that spot for so many years. So I, I think Bush is a, is a good bet there. Yes, I remember the glory days of six-round pick Al Afalava starting week one. Uh, his rookie year, so that and was, you knew uh, they were in trouble when Al Al oh, yeah. got the call in week one. Like, uh oh, this isn't going to be good. Love you better than So let's uh, let's move on to the over unders here. Um, uh, over under twenty five touchdowns for Jay Cutler. He only had twenty one last year. I'll take the I'll take the under. All right. Um, well, here's an interesting one. Over under two starts for Brian Hoyer this year. Oh boy, uh, I will. Oh, I can't believe I'll, I'll take the under. I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'll take the under. I, Cutler really is in great shape. Uh, he really looks good physically. And, you know, he's obviously, we all know he comes back from injury so fast. So even though yeah. he's older, I like the way he's been taking care of his body the last couple of years. So I'll take the under on that. All right. Over under eight interceptions for the secondary, only four as a group in 2015. I'll take the under there. I don't think the secondary looks very good on paper. Okay. Uh, over under 120 tackles for Danny Trevathan this year. Um, 
lot of tackles. That means the guys up front aren't doing the job. Um, yeah, I was going to say, is it a good thing if he does? If you do take the over, is that a good thing? Yeah, that's a bad thing. I think you would take the over. I mean, you need Eddie right. Coleman, you need Keith Hicks, you need Jonathan Bullard, Mitch Unrein. I'll take the under for one twenty. I think you'll have a hundred, but not one twenty. Okay. Uh, over under seven hundred yards for Kevin White this year. Oh boy, that's tough. Because I just haven't seen him catch a pass in the regular season, I'll take the under, but I'm very torn. I want to take the over, but I just haven't seen it yet, so I'll take the under. Okay. I don't think I've ever seen him do this. I want to take – I want uh, over under one 60-yard field goal attempt for Robbie Gold this year. <laughs> um, let's do the over. I mean, he's bigger now. He's been eating all these cookies and uh, drinking all this uh, these milkshakes. <laughs> Robbie's big, man. We can see Robbie at camp. He's beefed up. I'll, I'll, they're going to like that leg. I say I'll take the over. Give him a 60-yarder. All right. You kind of answered this before, but I want to see what your thoughts are. Over under four home wins for the Bears this year. Four home wins. Philly, Detroit, Jacksonville, Minnesota, Tennessee, San Francisco, Green Bay, and Washington. Those, that's I'll, take the, I'll take the over for home wins. All right. So we're definitely going to do more than one this year, right? Yes. Yeah, it'll be a big improvement this year. Yeah, and then um, over under 10 starts for Zach Miller. Over. Over. He looks great, too. I'll be disappointed if he gets hurt because, I mean, I've never seen Zach work so hard in an offseason. He looks outstanding, and he's going to have a big role here, and they're counting on him. So I think he had, what, he appeared in, what, 15 games last year, 14, 15 games? I'll take the I over so, yeah. for Zach Miller. Okay. All right, that'll work because I, you know, I just it's like he's had terrible luck up to this point, and now he is the n- number one tight end going into this season. I'm just hoping that his luck doesn't creep back up on him. Let's hope not. So I got two more for you. You kind of answered this earlier. So uh, nine wins for the Bears in 2016. Uh, I'll take the under. You're gonna under, okay? And then finally, and I've asked this of everybody, everyone that I've spoken to. This is show number 14 that I've done. Over under two drips to the bathroom to vomit week seven when the Bears and Packers play in their color rush uniforms on Thursday night football. Oh, God. Well, first of all, it's going to be Thursday night football. So Thursday night footballs always are brutal because yes. there's never time to prepare for those games properly. It's a mess. It's a money grab by the NFL. If I was a player, I would hate, and I know they do, hate Thursday night football. And with the uh, I'll take the over on the vomits. Give me three vomits. <laughs> Take I'll take those three vomits. That's uh, yeah. that's about where I'm I'm going with it too. Especially, you know, the the first key that I saw had the Bears wearing orange and the Packers wearing yellow, and I but I hear that we're supposed to be navy, so it's not the worst thing, but it's definitely not a good look. And then God help us with Green Bay wearing all yellow. That's just going to be awful. Have a bathroom nearby to watch that game. Yes, absolutely. Well, thanks so much, uh, Jeff, for, for giving us a few minutes of your time coming back on the show. We uh, look forward to having you back on real soon. Absolutely, man. My pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your summer and enjoy the football season. <laughs> Always fun to have Jeff on the show. Look forward to having him back. And, uh, you know, a lot of great stuff from him. He, he promised me 10 minutes, and we almost got 20 out of him. So it's kind of kind of money in the bank there after a while. But uh, look forward to having him back on the show uh, real soon in just about any capacity. It's always fun having having uh, Jeff on to the show. But, um, you know, as fun as that was, now it's time to really sink our teeth into this thing and uh, get our friend uh, Lauren Cox from BearsWire.com 
for part one of our preview of the 2016 Chicago Bears. us through this 14th and final preview episode this will be the end of our off season we bring in lauren cox from bearswire.com lauren welcome to the chicago bears review hey thanks for having me on i I really appreciate the opportunity not a problem so this is your first time on the show um we always like to get to know our guests a little bit before uh we get started so um where are you from originally where you living now And, and i ask that because all the bloggers and beat writers that I've talked to, I think out of the 20 or so people that I've talked to, maybe five of them actually live in the market that they're covering. And how long have you been a fan of the team? Yeah, so I'm from uh, southern Wisconsin, and I, I still live in southern Wisconsin. I actually go to school at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, uh, so I'll be a junior next year there. Um, I've been a Bears fan for pretty much my whole life, but I really started getting into it when I was t- when I was 10 years old and they drafted this kid Devin Hester and uh, he started doing some pretty crazy things with the ball in his hand and that's when I really started catching my attention and getting into it so you know I've been been following the team extremely closely ever since and you know it's not always easy in Wisconsin especially growing up around here but uh, towards the south of the state you get a little bit more of the mixed fans and you know you, you find some Bears fans you can stick around with and you don't get too drowned out by the Packers. Sure, sure, sure. So, so your initiation to following the team closely was a Super Bowl run. Yeah, it just kind of worked out that way. You know, it was it started early on, but you know, looking back at it, I kind of it, it feels like a bandwagon. But ten year old me didn't really quite understand that concept, so I, I I try and use that as an excuse. Yeah, well, you know, my first like real vivid memories of like you know solid memories that I'll never forget. I you know uh, was seven years old when the bears won the super bowl in 85 and that was like like you that was the first real year that i followed the team from start to finish you know beginning of the season all the way through the super bowl you know but i got i had the good fortune of growing up through the ditka years um you had lovey you went through the the tail end of his successful run and then it was kind of been up and down mediocrity since then yeah, yeah, you know, we, I got I got the good years of Lovey for the most part because I mean he started in two thousand five, so you know right around to that two thousand or two thousand four I think he started. So it was right as he was getting into that the prime of his Chicago Bears career, and you know there were ups and downs and offensive coordinators with a laundry list of names, but it was all in all it wasn't wasn't too bad. I mean certainly there are other franchises that have been quite a bit worse in the time, so there's there's not a lot I can complain about. Oh, for sure, for sure, definitely. So. So do you have a favorite moment? Is it Super Bowl 41, Hester bringing it back, or is, it, is, it, is there another one that, that tops the list? Yeah, that, that opening kickoff to the Super Bowl, I mean, it's my favorite moment, but it's also such a heartbreaking moment because I remember when that kick went, went all the way back and when he scored, it, in my mind, it was, oh, there's no way we can lose this game. I mean, Devin Hester scored on the opening kickoff, and we, you know, there's no way they're going to blow this. They've got all the momentum, and then – it was such a heartbreak from there to watch Rex Grossman go out there and struggle and even watch the defense struggle, which was something we hadn't seen much all year. And, yeah, so it's, it was my favorite moment, but it also hurts a little bit, you know. Yeah, it was uh, my one of my best friends is a Colts fan, so we were separate from each other that day. And it's always that, um, you know, they won the we won the battle, but they won the war 
kind of thing. Yeah. It's like they won the game, but the Bears own that moment. The only moment worth remembering in Super Bowl Forty One is Hester taking the kickback for the first time in in Super Bowl. And it hasn't been done since. Nobody's taken the opening kickoff before, and no one's done it since uh, he did it. So it's uh, it was a pretty pretty amazing moment, and and one that was unbelievable for two reasons. Number one because he ran the opening kickoff back for a touchdown. And number two, who in their right mind would kick to Hester in the Super Bowl after the <laughs> year that he's had? And, you know, I've seen Tony Dungy in his comments like, you know what, the hell with it. We're not going to be afraid of him. We're going to kick it to him. And it's like, okay, dude, good luck with that. Yeah, good luck. Yeah. So, so now we fast forward to 2015. It's year one of John Fox. And after 2014 with Tressman, it really couldn't get any worse than that, man. I mean, it was um, – I mean, that was probably one of the most down years I've ever had as a Bear fan just because they had no fight in them. They didn't really – you know, there was no effort out on the field, and it's like Tressman just couldn't seem to figure it out. Every one of his press conferences started with, we had a good week of practice, I don't know what happened. And it just – it was maddening to watch that guy. And the competition and the product that he put out on the field, then John Fox gets hired. We ought to have an automatic step up in coaching staff with him, Fangio, Adam Gase, even Ed Donatell, our defensive backs coach, raises the bar. And even though it didn't translate into wins, the team was a lot more exciting to watch, a lot more competitive uh, in 2015. And it definitely leaves a, a good taste in your mouth as far as what the future may bring. Certainly there was a ton to be excited about with John Fox in year one. I mean, like you said, only six wins kind of leaves a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth. But, I mean, they were in so many games that they ended up losing. I mean, you, you talk about the Detroit game, the first Minnesota game, the Denver game, the 49ers game, even the Redskins. I mean, just it seemed like week after week it's it's three-point loss, four-point loss. You know, a Robbie Gold missed field goal here or one drive that stalls late in the fourth quarter and then the defense can't hold uh, hold off the opposing offense for a touchdown and the other team pulls it out. I mean – this team, you know, a couple plays change here and there, and they're 500 or better, and maybe even in the playoffs. Yeah, definitely. I mean, was there a more insane loss on the schedule than that loss to San Francisco? I mean, I'm probably my listeners are probably sick of me talking about it by now because I mentioned it with just about everybody. But you know, and as they're you know probably heard me say this all over again, there are six things that happen in in in, in regular in regulation. If one of those things does not happen, the Bears win the game in regulation. Cutler threw a pick six. If that doesn't happen, the Bears win. We had a punt return called back, you know, a punt return touchdown called back because of a block in the back. If that doesn't happen, we win the game. If Gold makes any of the two field goals that he missed, <laughs> the game's over in regulation, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So you can't take anything away from San Francisco in overtime because that happened straight up. But the fact that we got to overtime in the first place was kind of ridiculous. And that, that game to this day still bug. I mean, when the schedule came out, that was the one that I circled. Not Packers on Thursday Night Football. I want that San Francisco game because we should win it like we should have won it the first time. Yeah, I mean, anytime you have Blaine Gabbert running for a 40-plus yard touchdown on oh, you, God. you know that God is not in your favor this day, this game. I mean, there's just no – at that point it was like, oh, geez, the Bears are going to blow this. And they certainly did. And, and my favorite thing about that day, and actually that's a sarcastic thing for me to say, was I'm an Uber driver on the weekends. And I was out particularly late on Saturday, so I got up late. And I was about 20, 30 minutes behind on the game as far as you know, catching up with my, 
my DVR. So I kept getting these Bleacher Report updates on my phone about what was happening as I'm about 10 or 15 minutes behind it. And like an idiot, I looked at my phone and saw, A, the Gabbert touchdown run, and then, B, oh, Gabbert threw a 71-yard touchdown pass to Torrey Smith. The, the, the 49ers won it in overtime. I'm like, great. Now I have that to look forward to. I don't know why the hell I did that, but I kept looking at my phone and, you know, finding out. I was like, why, why is this game even comp- competitive? We should be killing these guys. And, you know, just watch the Bears make one mistake after another that kept the 49ers in it. Yeah, I mean, your phone could be your your best friend and your worst nightmare sometimes with games like this. You know, sometimes you you, you got something to look forward to. You saying, "Oh man, another touchdown pass by Jay Cutler," or, "Oh geez, Blaine Gabbert just ran for forty plus yards and a touchdown. What the hell happened?" Yeah, it was uh, it was a pretty insane, uh, pretty insane game. So, you know, but like I said, it was first of all we had almost an impossible schedule. Those first three games, I don't think anybody had an opening three game start like we did. Three playoff teams. Uh, and, and everything just an insane gauntlet the Bears had to run uh, to get started and um, you know the schedule just never really kind of went our way uh, throughout the entire uh, throughout the entire season and then of course you had injuries and because we got injuries we got inexperienced guys getting in there so regardless of six and ten I think John Fox and company still did a hell of a job last year yeah I agree I mean to expect them to take what Mark Trustman left them and turn that into anything close to a playoff team in one year is probably a little bit too much. But I mean, you know, the, the win record is probably about what you would have expected. But what was beyond that, it was the foundation that they seemed to establish on both sides of the ball of how, how we're going to hold the locker room, how we're going to play football moving forward, how we're going to treat teammates, how we're going to treat coaches, and how we're going to build the talent on this roster from the ground up and from the inside out rather than the outside in. Exactly. So, you know, I do love what 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 Pace and and Fox are doing and what they did this offseason. We'll talk about that here uh, in a minute. But, um, you know, the season ends and the one big development uh, is what we what many would consider to be the inevitable. I mean, it was kind of something that we all saw coming a year ago. If things went well, what's the likelihood that Adam Gay sticks around more than one season? And even though the 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 offense wasn't that impressive, Jay Cutler was and Adam Gase got a lot of that credit and it earned him a head coaching job with the Dolphins. Do you think that people that Cutler in particular, he's going to miss Adam Gase as much as some people tend to think that he will? You know, I don't think so. I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty confident guy in Dowell Loggins. And I think there were a lot of things that Adam Gase didn't really receive enough criticism for on the offense. I mean, certainly he cut down on turnovers for Cutler. He made sure he was stuck to his footwork and mechanics a little bit more and sort of allowed Cutler to take more of the reins of the offense and be a little bit freer in throwing downfield. That was something that Tressman prevented him from doing. But there were also things that I, I really didn't like that Gase did, and I, I, I have a feeling that Dowell Loggins won't make the same mistakes. I mean, first of all, you didn't see the Bears get into the running back rotation much last year. I mean, for a long time it was the Forte show, which rightfully so. You want to give Forte plenty of touches, but, you know, he's over the 30-year-old hump now, and you know, you'd like to see what you have in your younger running backs behind him. And it took a few weeks before Jeremy Langford got a significant amount of playing time. And when he did, he played very well. And then once Forte came back, you started to see both of them. But even then, it took a little while to see Kadeem Carey. And I thought Kadeem Carey played pretty well in the limited opportunities he gave. And so it seemed like they could have done more to work the running backs in the offense with more of an eye on the future. It kind of seemed like, why are you continuing to focus on this older Matt Forte when writing is on the wall that he won't be back and this team's not going to playoffs so why not see what you have with your younger running backs and then 
with the rest of the offense, there was just a, a little bit too much predictability, in my opinion. I mean, a lot of times the Bears would come out on these third and shorts, you know, third three, third and four, with five wide empty backfield. And maybe it wouldn't be five receivers, but, you know, it'd be a tight end and a running back and three receivers, but it'd still be an empty backfield. And that's an automatic signal that, hey, we're not running the ball on third down. You know it's going to be a pass, so you can defend it. And kind of along those same lines, the, the Bears overwhelmingly passed out of shotgun and ran the ball when under center like I think it was somewhere around 70 percent of the time they were under center last year they ran the ball and like 60 percent of the time they were in shotgun they passed so I mean it it was a lot easier for defenses to to key in on that and sort of have that in the back of their mind to be able to get that quick first step and that that ability to sort of know what the Bears are going to do before they do it and use that to their advantage and, and limit some of what this offense can do so I feel like Dowell Loggins is a guy who has a history of using multiple running backs He's a guy that's a run-first kind of offense, back to that old-school football that John Fox likes. And I think he's going to find a way to get all these young running backs involved because he doesn't have a Matt Forte at the top to rely on. He's got, you know, Langford and Carey and Howard, and they're still trying to sort out exactly how that order falls. So I think it, there's there's good reason to believe that Loggins can fix many of the things that Gase did poorly last year while also maintaining many of the strengths that he built in this offense around Jay Cutler. Absolutely. Now, the other big storyline in the offseason was Alshon Jeffrey. You know, the the Bears uh, pretty much tag him immediately with the franchise tag. He almost immediately signs his tender, which guarantees that he will be in uh, be in camp. He will and uh, be, you know, be with the team in 2016. But as of last Friday, when the deadline came through, the Bears did not put together a long term deal uh, with Alshon Jeffrey. And it's a very mixed reaction among Bear fans as to whether or, whether or not that's a good thing. Is it a good thing that he's on the one-year prove-it deal after his you know in-and-out-of-the-lineup injury-filled 2015, or is it a you-should-pay-the-man-and-keep-him-because-we-don't-know-what-we-have-in-Kevin-White situation, in your opinion? You know, I, I, I kind of go back and forth on this, but I think I lean towards it was a good decision to let him do this one-year thing. I mean, I wasn't really expecting them to agree on an extension, and I don't think... Uh, you know, after Alshon Jeffrey was franchise tag, I don't know if he necessarily wanted to be in a reasonable range for price tag because he feels that he can go out and have another great year and earn even more money next year. So, I mean, obviously they they both have an interest in in signing each other and you know making that union again. But Alshon wants a large amount of money, and at the end of the day, this is more about the dollars than than their than their belief in him as a receiver because he's proven time and time again and in games that he is a legitimate number one NFL receiver, but it's whether or not he deserves to be paid like the highest paid receiver in this league or not. And I think, in, in my opinion, this is probably his last year at Chicago because I feel like if he plays well, then he's probably going to price himself out of the Bears market and some team's going to want to pay him the way we've seen some big-name free agents get paid in the last couple of years. And if he struggles, then I, I feel like the Bears might try and lowball him and try and get him on a pretty cheap deal, you know, struggles with injuries or, or whatever. And, but I still feel like if they try and do that, he might take his chances on the open market that another team is willing to take a chance on him and give him more money because they've seen what he can do on the field and healthy. And they, they, they're not scared by this one year where he had another injury issue. You know, Maybe they don't think it's as chronic as the Bears do or something like that. But it, it just feels to me like there's too much tension between both sides and that he'll come back and play and he'll, you know, he'll do his thing just fine. But working out something long-term, I think he's got his eyes on going somewhere else in the future. You know, and, and my follow-up question was, was going to be, you know, how much does do you think Alshon's future hinge on the success of Kevin White? I mean, if he comes out, I mean, and there are so many ways to answer that question. You know, it's like if he has an amazing year, 
uh, if Kevin White comes out and he's the one with 100 catches and 1,300 yards, do we even bother bringing Alshon Jeffrey back? Or if he comes out and he has a stinker of a season, you know, do we throw the money at him? I mean, but at the same time, Ryan Pace doesn't seem like the like a desperation kind of GM. He'll just go back to the drawing board and 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 figure it out. But how much do you think that that Kevin White's success or failure this season hinges on whether or not we bring Alshon back? You know, I don't I don't know if there's going to be a huge impact because I think I mean it, certainly if if Kevin White gets hurt or you know we don't get to see him much in 2016 where he just doesn't quite look ready, then that's going to be a lot of leverage for Alshon Jeffrey, but at the same time, I feel like Ryan Pace is very confident in his front office and coaching staff's ability to evaluate talent, especially in the draft. I mean, we've seen these last couple of years some pretty solid drafts, at least early on. I mean, jury is still out on these players for sure, but there's a lot of encouragement there, and certainly his free agent signings have been home runs so far. So I think they're confident enough to say, okay, Alshon, you can move on, and we'll, we'll find a couple free agent receivers, we'll draft a guy or two, and then we'll kind of let these young guys grow within because we're not going to pay, we're not going to tie up you know, $15, $16 million a year maybe in one wide receiver when, you know, that money needs to go elsewhere on the team. You know, Kyle Long is going to be due for an extension pretty soon. Willie Young's got an extension coming up perhaps. So, you know, I don't, I don't just, I just don't think Ryan Pace is going to want to tie up all that money in Alshon one way or another. And, and I think Kevin White doesn't quite influence that too much. I mean, it's, you know, it's hard to know for sure what he thinks, but it just kind of seems like this is more of a dollars and cents thing than a, do we want this number one receiver on the team? Yeah, because I I was uh, I mentioned last week on on the show that I think that if um, if Alshon had priced himself kind of in the Doug Baldwin price range where he's getting eleven or twelve million a season, that that maybe the Bears would have would have you know given up given him that contract as opposed to probably the fifteen or sixteen million a season he's probably asking for uh, going going forward as far as the long term. Uh, deal is concerned so I, I think if maybe he was in the 11 to 12 million range that maybe that would have made all the difference and Alshon would be on a long-term deal yeah I have to imagine that's probably what the Bears were pointing to in negotiations but Alshon's pointing to an increasing cap and he's pointing to his, his vast statistical production certainly in Chicago and you know he's he's already like I think with the franchise tag he's like the second or third highest paid receiver now just because that 14.6 something million dollar deal but I think he sees that $15 million a year that Des Bryant got and said, well, listen, the cap's going up, so I want to be right around there because I can produce at the same level he can. The Bears said, well, let's, let's see it one more time. Let's see you do it fully healthy because he's just been banged up. Even when he's not missing games, he's still banged up not 100%. And like John Fox said, they don't need guys with owies that are in the training room all the time. They need guys that are on the field. So they're kind of in this, this stare down, dare you to go out and have a huge year, you know, we dare you because heaven forbid if Alshon Jeffrey has a big year and earns a payday, that means really good things are happening with the Chicago Bears offense. It means Cutler's playing well. It means the offense is moving the ball and scoring touchdowns. So it's kind of a win-win for the Bears there. You're either getting a great Alshon Jeffrey or you're getting potentially Alshon Jeffrey on a cheaper contract in the future because he had problems this year. Yeah, so flip over to the other side of the ball, and that is where Ryan Pace really went to work uh, in the offseason. Um, we went from... You know, having a laughing stock of a linebacking core, which is an abomination as far as the Chicago Bear franchise is concerned. <laughs> the Bears are known for two things. It's running backs and it's linebackers. And it's just been a nightmare as far as the linebacking core since Erlacher retired after the 2012 season. But we go out, we get Danny Trevathan. We steal Jarrell Freeman from the, um, from the Indianapolis Colts. And then we draft Leonard Floyd uh, in the first round. 
And along with last year's acquisition in Pernell McPhee, that's most likely your starting four uh, in this 3-4 linebacking core. And, I mean, it just – I mean, I couldn't imagine how it went any better, especially after we signed Jarrell Freeman. You know, I have to disagree with you there about them being the starting four. I, I just don't see Leonard Floyd starting as a rookie. I think the, with the way everyone's been talking all offseason, it's going to be probably Willie Young, but maybe Lamar Houston. But there's this kind of been this talk. It's like, oh, yeah, with Willie and Lamar and Purnell, it's like it's like those are the three. And I just get the impression that, you know, with all, with all the focus they're putting on Leonard Floyd as far as getting his weight up and making sure to sort of keep his keep him positive and working hard, that he's not quite ready to be a full-time starter. I mean, certainly training camp is, hasn't even come yet, so we don't really know until the pads come on there. But I get the impression that he's going to be more of a situational pass rusher, at least early on, and then sort of work his way into more snaps in the rotation with everybody else. How did you feel about the Bears drafting Floyd? Because I remember on draft night, my father calling me about an hour or so before the draft started, and he's like, well, who do you want the Bears to get? And I said, and I quote, well, I can tell you who I don't want them to get, and that's Leonard Floyd from Georgia. Because not that I didn't think that he was an already you know, a better athletic option, but the Bears had just gotten done with a four-year four failed experiment with an undersized pass rusher, and I didn't have any desire to watch the Bears do it again uh, with Leonard Floyd. How did you feel when they first picked him up? Yeah, you know, I had almost the exact same wording. I said anybody but Floyd was, was what I was going with for the draft. I mean, I, I'm i not rooting against the kid by any means. I mean, I'd love to see him be a right, success. Right, exactly, but yeah. I, I was not a fan of the pick. I didn't have him as a first-round pick. I had him as an early second-round guy on my board. I mean, there's there's physical traits that you love. I mean, the length, the speed, the athleticism, and the aggressiveness. But I just don't know if he's really good at anything right now. I mean, He's limited in his pass rush moves. He's, he can do speed on the edge, and he has a little bit of an, of an inside swim, but even that only works when he sets it up with his speed initially first, and you're not going to see NFL tackles open up their hips the way they did in college and allow him to, to key in on that and take advantage. So I, I'm concerned that he doesn't have a lot of go-to pass rush moves, especially once he gets engaged. I mean, he can't bull rush with anybody. He he has he's, he's swum a couple times, and he has a, a decent spin move, but... These are all, they're all set up by his speed, and I'd, I'd like to see him be able to do a little bit more of what Pernell McPhee does in that he, he can just attack a guy, and maybe if he's not bull rushing him, but if he's the aggressor on the play, gets into him and then does a swim from there and works off of that. I mean, he's just got pass rushing options for days, and I just don't see that with Leonard Floyd yet. It's not that he can't learn them, but it's, you know, he just struggles to shed blocks in the run game, and th- these are all things that are fine for a rookie, but I don't know if I would use the number nine overall pick on a player that has question marks with this. I mean, I see the potential. I see, you know, down the line, Vic Fangio taking this guy under his wing and John Fox working with him and turning him into a great pass rusher, certainly. But there's a lot of risk there, and I don't know if that's even a a sure thing at this point that I wouldn't – I just wouldn't go top 10. I wouldn't trade up for him, first of all, and I I don't know if I would have taken him at 11 either. Right, yeah, and um, the Bears had to trade up because if they didn't, the Giants would have taken him at 10, or so the story goes. Uh, anyway, but um, so in the second round, it was quite a roller coaster. Uh, the Bears were sitting at 41. Um, I don't know who it was that that didn't fall to them at 41, but they trade back uh, to what 49, uh, I believe. They trade back with the Bills. They go to 49, and then at 48, the Indianapolis Colts trade their pick to the Packers, and the Packers just before the Bears pick 
take Jason Spriggs, the offensive tackle out of Indiana. Once that pick goes down, the Bears immediately trade out of it, down to 56, and we end up with Cody Whitehair, who many people argue may be the best overall lineman uh, in the draft. But, you know, do you think that the, that's who the Bears were after, was Spriggs? Is that why you think they traded out of that spot as quickly as they did? You know, I'm not, I'm not convinced. I mean, it certainly looks like it and I, I was a big fan of Jason Spriggs so initially in my head I was like oh yeah they wanted Spriggs but I'm I'm not all that convinced that it was necessarily him I mean Ashawn Robinson had gone a couple picks before that you don't really know when the Bears started the phone calls to trade down I mean even Derrick Henry was the pick before that so it's, it's, it's hard for me to say yes it was it was Spriggs but certainly I, I think there was some interest there in, in upgrading the left tackle position and I was a big fan but you know I, I don't know if I'd quite I don't know if I'd want to give the Packers that much credit. How about that? <laughs> no, I can definitely uh, I can go with that endorsement there. But, I mean, does the left tackle position make you as nervous as, as it does me? I mean, I spoke with Jeff Dickerson from ESPN last night, and he's, you know, going on and on about how, you know, the Bears really do like Charles Leno uh, as much as, as Pace keeps telling us uh, that they do, and, and their moves would certainly suggest that. They didn't try to get anybody out there. I mean, it wasn't really much of a free agent market for left tackles anyway, but we didn't try to bring anybody in there. Uh, we missed out on Jason Spriggs. If that's how, you know, if that's how it really went down, you know, maybe we went after him, maybe we didn't. Or like you said, maybe it was Ashawn Robinson or Derrick Henry. That's what made the Bears uh, trade down. We'll never know. But does that position make you as nervous as it does me? Because I feel like every other spot on the offensive line is decent to solid. And then that left tackle is that spot that really kind of, you know, has me concerned. Well, you know, on draft night when the Bears traded up to nine, me and Phil Atosha from Bears Wire, we were on the phone. We're like, oh, my God, they're trading up for Laramie Tunzel. They're getting him. You know, they're this, this top offensive tackle prospect. They're getting their left tackle of the future. Thank God. So then you can imagine the disappointment we had when Leonard Floyd's name went across the screen. But, yes, you know, I, I, I still would have taken Laramie Tunzel. I'm a big fan of his. But. What, what I really want is Kyle Long to be at the left tackle. I feel like he is the best offensive lineman on your team, so you put him at the most difficult position on your offensive line, which is the left tackle. And I think it's easier to find a right guard who can start than to find a left tackle who can start. I mean, look at all the guards that were on the free agent market versus left tackles because left tackles don't get out there. But as far as Charles Leno goes, I'm, I'm not that worried about him. I mean, he's not the worst offensive tackle in the league. I mean, certainly we've seen bad left tackles in Chicago. I mean, Jamarcus oh, Webb. Yeah. So, I mean, he's a lot better than a lot of those. But, you know, I, I feel like people forget how young he is, too. I mean, I think he's, what, 25, 26. And as a former seventh-round pick, he has he's kind of been flipped back and forth on both sides of the line. He's actually 24 years old. So he's the same age as Cody Whitehair. And a, a lot of times early in his career, these last couple of years, it's like they put him at right tackle, well, then, you know, the next day at practice, he'd be at left tackle, and he didn't have that opportunity to sit in the position and really get comfortable with it for a long stretch of time. I remember, I think it was last year, two years ago, 2015, he ended up starting a number of games, but he started at four different positions. I think he was at left tackle, left guard, right tackle, and right guard. But just because of all the injuries, they would just throw him in there, and he could never get comfortable with a position. So you, you see him struggle, and it's like, oh, Charles Leno must be bad. But it's, it's like this guy's just getting thrown in at a new position, and, and he's starting the next day kind of like Kyle Long did at the beginning of this season. And I think this offseason for Charles Leno will be really big because he knows, okay, I'm the left tackle. I'm playing left tackle. This is my job. I'm just going to work on it, focus at getting better at it. And I think we'll see him as he's starting to get older and more used to the league start to come into his own a little bit as an NFL left tackle. Maybe he's not as good as 
you know, uh, potentially a Laramie Tunzel or a Kyle Long at the position, but I'm not super concerned about him holding up, at least for Jay Cutler's sake. And I think we'll go ahead and stop there. Uh, that will be the conclusion of part one of this 2016 uh, Bears preview. Going to be a quick turnaround because I released them both at the same time. I just decided to go ahead and break them up for you. But part two, the second half of the conversation with Lauren, plus our segment with Ron Cox doing bold uh, – Ron Cox. Ron Rugg <laughs> doing uh, bold predictions uh, to wrap up the show on part number two. So go ahead and download that show, listen to it, and we'll be right back right after these words. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital.
That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.